name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Before we get into the Trisagion, I think they're at the back. Um, I have a couple of quotes from St. John Chrysostom <laughs> on how to conduct, can you hear me? Is it loud? Is that? On how to conduct ourselves in church, which I thought I would share, but they were pretty nice. Were you to stand in the presence of the King, you would not even dare. But when you stand in the presence of the Lord of all, you do not stand there in fear and trembling. You laugh, provoking him to anger. Do you not see that by this conduct you, prove, you provoke him more by your very sins? God is not one to be as angry against those who sin as against those who even when they have sinned feel neither sorrow nor regret. Nothing so becomes a church as silence and good order. Noise belongs to theatres and baths and public processions and marketplaces. But where doctrines and such doctrines are the subject of teaching, there should be stillness and quiet and calm reflection and a haven of much repose. These things I beseech and entreat. So I think this is very practical advice which builds on what we were saying in the last few weeks about how we should conduct ourselves in church. Remembering that we call the liturgy heaven on earth. So if someone was to walk into a liturgy this Sunday, would they say that we are, op we are behaving and conducting ourselves in a way where we really believe that this is heaven on earth? And if you ever get a chance and see any of our Ethiopian and Eritrean brothers and sisters that come to church, you would see that from... The moment they see the church, they're conducting themselves in reverence. Like, I don't know if you've seen, like they wear a white, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a white garb or something over themselves. They walk in, they do a few matanias at the door of the church. They really, and they stand there without a word. They don't say anything. So maybe it's something that we could get into the habit of, of making sure that we're completely silent in church during the services. And even as well, as soon as we finish the liturgy, maybe we shouldn't just break out into noise and just run to get the piece of baraka, the piece of bread off Abuna, so we could run and get the sandwich after church as well. Maybe it would be nice if before, like in the Zahma where everyone's getting up, maybe we could just stop for a second, just have a seat, a bit of reflection on what just happened in the liturgy what, who, and who we just received, the holy body and the precious blood of Christ. And then we could walk and... Um, get the blessed bread from Abuna. So there's just a few thoughts I thought we would share. Right, so last week we stopped at the Synexarium and we outlined the different lectionaries that we have. We said we have one for the Sundays, okay, like this one, this is for the Sundays. We have one for Pentecost, which is the holy 50 days after the Feast of Resurrection. We have one for Passion Week. We have one for Great Lent. And we have one for the weekdays. And we said that the weekday readings depend on which saints we're celebrating that day. If we're celebrating a feast of a prophet, the readings re relate to one of the prophets. If we're celebrating the feast of one of the bishops or the patriarchs, they relate to Christ the Good Shepherd, etc. And there was a little, um, a few dot points that I gave you last time that explained all of that. So for example, we're in Kiyak, the four weeks before the Feast of the Nativity, so we have the four Sundays of Kiyak, and they all go into a, a, a theme. The first Sunday is the Annunciation of the Birth of St. John the Baptist. The second Sunday is the Annunciation of the Birth of Christ. The third Sunday is the visit of St. Mary to Elizabeth. The fourth Sunday is the birth of John the Baptist, leading to the 29th of Kiyak, 7th of January, which is the birth of Christ. 
and the Nativity. Okay? So after the readings, we sing the Trisagion, so the three hollies. Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, born of the Virgin, have mercy upon us. Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, crucified for us, have mercy upon us. Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, risen from the dead and ascended into the heavens, have mercy upon us. And then a glorification to the Holy Trinity. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. So, um, I think all the apostolic churches chant this hymn. So, Fatin, in the Antiochian Orthodox Church, what's the difference between that hymn and the version that you chant? Yeah, so in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they say, Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, have mercy on us, full stop. And they say that three times. In the Oriental Orthodox Churches, we say, Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, and then another sentence. In the Syrian Church, they say, Who was crucified for our sake, have mercy on us, three times. We say, Who was born of the Virgin, in the first verse. In the second verse, who was crucified for our sake. In the third verse, who rose from the dead. Now, this caused a little bit of a controversy in the 5th century, which we could go in detail about after if anyone's interested, it's important to remember that in the Oriental Orthodox Church, we are singing this hymn to Jesus Christ, not to the Holy Trinity. Because the Holy Trinity wasn't crucified. Christ was crucified. So we address this hymn to Jesus Christ. The Eastern Orthodox Church addresses this hymn to the Holy Trinity. They're both okay. Okay? So I found some interesting... Um, quotes about this. The first one is from someone called Ibn Sabah, 13th century Egypt. There's all these um, Middle, um, Middle Ages Egyptian writers. Ibn Kabar, Ibn Sabah, have all these interesting names, but they have these really interesting texts. So if anyone could read Arabic, you could read. I can't read Arabic, so I'll look for translations, but they're very interesting. So this is what he says about the Trisagion prayers. In the 13th century, however, Ibn Sabah in his Kitab El Gauhara noted a tradition that St. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, while giving burial to the body of Christ, heard the angels saying, Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal. And at the words, Holy Immortal, Christ opened his eyes in their face. Then Joseph and Nicodemus said, Who was crucified for us, have mercy upon us. So that's the tradition that carried. Ibn Sabah also says, that the Trisagion is repeated three times to accord with the number of the Holy Trinity, but we're not addressing this to the Holy Trinity. Only Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin, crucified for our sake, rose from the dead, not the Holy Trinity. Okay? It's important that we make that distinction. So this, in the Coptic Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox churches, this hymn is addressed to Christ. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's addressed to the Holy Trinity. And that the word holy in the Trisagion is repeated nine times in reference to the nine angelic orders. And we'll talk about the nine angelic orders when we go to the part where we said before whom stands the angels, the archangels, the thrones, the dominions, etc. Whose worship in heaven is the prototype of the worship of the church. This is interesting, 13th century. Hence the dignitary present, whether he be a senior priest, a bishop or the patriarch, as the head of the earthly angels or heavenly men alone says the first verse of the Trisagion. Holy God, etc., who was born of the Virgin of Mercy upon us, and the people sing the rest. So in the 13th century, it seems that if there was a bishop, he would say the first part, and then everyone else would respond. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, I believe if there's a bishop, you still do that in a way, where the, the people say, Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Mortal, have mercy on us, and then the bishops and the priests in the altar would say a verse on their own. Okay? 
the, the last quote on that page, I thought I would include because this author is a bishop of Mosul. Do you know what, where Mosul is or Mosul? Have you heard of it on the news? Iraq. It's one of those cities that ISIS has taken over. Um, a lot of Christians there. Um, so it was pretty bad, the damage that happened in that city, in Musul, I can't pronounce it. But the, the bishop is called Moses Bar Kifa, 815 to 903 AD, roughly around that time. He writes this. But others say that at the time of the crucifixion, after Christ had given up his spirit into the hands of his father, the holy seraphim came together round about his body, the body of Christ as sang this hymn, As far as who was crucified for us. And they left out this clause. So that he's saying that people said that the seraphim came around Christ, said, Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, and stopped. And they left out this clause, the clause being who was crucified for us. And very rightly, since it was not for them, the angels, that he was crucified, but for us as humans. At that time, they say Joseph the counselor, because Joseph of Arimathea was present, he who begged the body of Christ from Pilate the judge and embalmed it. And they say that when he heard them say, Holy God, Holy Almighty, Holy Immortal, his own mind was enlightened and he added, who was crucified for us, have mercy upon us. So I thought I would share those interesting things about the Trisagion. If you're really interested to hear about the controversy, we could talk about it after we finish today. And there's a couple of quotes from St. John Chrysostom and St. Cyril of Jerusalem on that praise. Okay? So after that, the, let's just pretend this is the altar. Okay. After that, the priest um, puts a hand of incense into the censer and he comes outside and the deacon holds the gospel. So in this case, there are the gospels, okay, and he holds it. So like we were saying before, technically this should be the first time that the deacon holds the gospel. Remember last week we were saying when the priest is offering incense and they're going around, he should only be holding the cross. Somehow the tradition came with the holding the gospel on the cross. But he should only be holding the cross. We spoke about this last week because he's responding to the priest. So last week the priest stands here and says, Remember, O Lord, the peace of the one only holy Catholic church. And he swings. And the deacon's opposite saying, Pray for the peace of the one only holy Catholic church with the cross. Okay? But now he exits the sanctuary with the gospel and stands behind the priest like this. The priest has the censer in his hand and he says the litany of the gospel while facing east. Okay? So let's have a read of the litany. He calls people to prayer. He says, let us pray. The deacon instructs the people and asks them to stand up for prayer. The priest says, peace be with you all. You reply and with your spirit. So it's the second time that the priest says this during the liturgy. Okay? The priest says, O Master, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, who said to his saintly honored disciples and holy apostles, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. But as for you, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. May we be worthy to hear and to act according to your holy gospels through the prayers of your saints. Amber Mateos, the current bishop and abbot of the Surian Monastery, in his book, explaining the liturgy, says, first quote, the priest continues the liturgy saying, may we be worthy to hear and to act according to your holy gospels through the prayers of your saints. 
as he asks for the assistance of the grace of God to help us to listen to the words of the gospel and to act upon them so that every believer might become a fifth gospel. That's interesting. St. John Chrysostom has a quote which says, we should behave ourselves in a way that if we lost the gospels, people could see the gospel in your life, in the way that you live your life, which is very nice. So the priest is asking God to give us grace that we may act according to the Holy Gospels so that we can become the fifth gospel. The deacon says, pray for the Holy Gospel, that the message of the gospel may be spread, that we may hear the Holy Gospel and act upon it, etc. Then the priest says, remember also, O our Master, all those who have bidden us to remember them in our supplications and prayers, which we offer up unto you, O Lord our God. Those who have already fallen asleep, repose them. Those who are sick, heal them. And then we say things about Christ. For you are the life of us all, so Christ is our life, the salvation of us all, the hope of us all, the healing of us all, we spoke about this last week, and the resurrection of us all. So from here we could see that Christ is our life, our salvation, our hope, our healing, and our resurrection. Five things. And then ending with a glorification to the Holy Trinity. And you are he, you being Jesus, are he unto whom we send up the glory, the honour and the worship with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is one essence with you, now all times and ages of ages. Amen. So he finishes the litany. At this point, okay, so some of this really doesn't happen these days because it, it depends on which church and if the deacons are saying the next part in Coptic. So at this point, the deacon is supposed to be up here chanting the psalm. So he goes, a psalm of David, alleluia, and then he chants the psalm. Meanwhile, what's happening? If Shadi could give us a hand. Okay, so... So Abuna, the priest, enters the sanctuary. All right? And once the priest enters, the deacon enters after him. And he stands there. Okay? And if you could see, he, puts, he places the gospel and the cross like so. The priest crosses the incense box, saying glory and honor, honor and glory to... Sorry, I forgot a piece. As soon as he finishes the litany, he turns around um, to the gospel. He offers incense to the gospel and says... So, standing here. He offers incense to the gospel and says, Venerate the Holy Gospel, um, venerate the Holy gospel through the prayers of David the prophet. O Lord, grant us the forgiveness of our sins. Sorry, bow down before the Holy Gospel to the prayers of David the prophet, grant us forgiveness of our sins. Okay? Then he comes back, crosses the incense box, glory and honor, honor and glory to the All-Holy Trinity, the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, when he crosses the box, places a spoon of incense. Okay? The deacon and the priest process around the altar while the priest says, Lord, as he senses the Gospel, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Where do we hear that from? Who said that? Simeon, Simeon the elder, taught our gospel when he was presented with Christ. Okay? So the priest says that because Simeon was waiting for Christ, for the gospel. We have the gospel. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And he's offering incense to the gospel. Why does he go around the whole altar? Samba Mateus would say, because the gospel is preached around the whole world. Okay? 
And then the priest stands at the door of the altar. Now, while he's doing this, the deacon should be saying, a psalm of David, Alleluia, and he says the psalm. If he's not saying that, then you just say Alleluia in different tunes. So the common one is, um, ah, 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 Alleluia. That's not, that's not right. I'm in Kiach season, so I've got the wrong Alleluia in my mind, but they're saying an Alleluia, okay? And then he stops when he says the psalm, and the deacon then says, Stasite, which is, stand up in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. So he's asking us to stand in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. Thanks, Shadi. Okay? He says this with the cross. Right? Holds the cross, stand up in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. The priest then says, Ephes Maraot, which is what in English? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord of powers. Bless, O Lord, the reading of the Holy Gospel according to Saint Luke, for example. Then you respond, Doxasi Kerea, glory be to you, O Lord. Now, the deacons already said the psalm, all right? The deacons already said, stand up in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. So the priest is not going to say, stand up and listen again. He's not going to say the psalm again. What's he going to say? Ben Choice, which is, our Lord, God, Savior, and the King of us all, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, glory be to you forever. And he reads the Gospel. That's how it's supposed to be done. But because we have Coptic and English, the deacon who's reading the English Gospel starts off by saying, Stand up in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. He reads the psalm, etc. So these are all technicalities which I thought we would share before we look at the meaning of all of this. Okay? Now, before we look at the meaning again, if there's a bishop present, they say a particular hymn. If you look at page 149, after the psalm, they say the hymn Maru Chasf, or in English, let them exalt him. So we'll read it. Let them exalt him in the church of his people and praise him in the seat of the elders. For he has made the family like a flock of sheep. The upright shall see and rejoice. Who are we talking about? Christ. Okay. The Lord has sworn and will not regret. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so remember how many priesthoods do we have? One. One priesthood as priests, so me as a priest or another priest or the bishop as the bishop, participates in the priesthood of Christ. Okay, so we've spoken about Christ. Let them exalt him in the church of his people. Praise him in the seat of the elders. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We spoke about Melchizedek two weeks ago. If you missed it, I've got some handouts so you could listen to the podcast. And then we speak about the bishop and the pope who carry the apostolic succession. Okay? The Lord is at your right hand, our saintly father, the patriarch, Pope Avatuadros, and our father, the bishop Avasuriel. May the Lord keep your life. And everyone replies, Alleluia. Okay? Now, turn to page 153. If the bishop or the pope are present... They don't say, stand up in the fear of God. The deacon says it, but he says a really long introduction. Okay? Let's read it together. Because it's actually not really commonly said. I've never heard it said in English. Ibrahim Ayad always says it in Arabic on the Aid in Egypt, but we never generally hear it. So for the Pope, he says, page 153, Stand in the fear of God. Let us hear the Holy Gospel from the mouth of our honoured and righteous Father. 
the thrice blessed, our Father, the Father of fathers, the Shepherd of shepherds, the High Priest of our High Priests. So he's not saying that he is like Christ. He's saying he's participating in the priesthood of Christ. Okay? The successor of St. Mark the Apostle and Evangelist, the great among the patriarchs, the beloved of Christ, our Holy Father of Atuadros, Pope and Patriarch of the great city of Alexandria and all the regions of Egypt and all the lands of immigration. By the way, do you know how many popes there are in the world? Three. There's a, f- a lot of patriarchs, not a lot, there's, a more, there's patriarchs, like there's a patriarch of Antioch in the Oriental Orthodox Church, Mark Antios Ephraim. There's a patriarch of Eritrea, Bon Antonius. There's a patriarch of Ethiopia, Bon Matthias. There's the patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia, Patriarch Kirill. Patriarch of Antioch in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Patriarch John, etc. Pope was originally a title only given to the Patriarch of Alexandria before they gave it to the Pope of Rome. Okay, so when people say Pope Francis, the original person that had the title Pope was Alexandria. Okay? Now, Alexandria has a Pope, which is Pope Toadros. We also have the Eastern Orthodox Patriarch of Alexandria, who's called the Greek Orthodox Pope of Alexandria, who's called Pope Theodorus. Okay? We could explain that later. It's going to be complicated. They have the same name. So if you remember at Pope Toadros' enthronement, an Eastern Orthodox bishop walked in and he congratulated him and he gave him a crown as a gift. His name is Pope Theodorus, Patriarch of Alexandria, of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So we have one church, Council of Chalcedon, the Coptic Church, the Syrian Church, separated from the rest. When we separated, we stuck with St. Dioscorus. He's our Pope. So we have that line of patriarchs. The Chalcedonians said no. Pope Discor- In their opinion, Pope Dioscorus was a heretic. We're going to put another Pope instead. That lineage is the Eastern Orthodox Church in Alexandria, which is Pope Theodorus. Ve- the population is very, very small in Alexandria, but they still have... Uh, uh, like a Pope. If you've been to Masjid al-Adima, Old Cairo, and you see St. George's Church, that's a bit round, that doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay? So that's two Popes. And then you have the Pope of Rome, who is Pope Francis. So we have three Popes. But the original person to be given the title Pope is Alexandria. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) May the God of heaven confirm him on his throne for many years and peaceful times, Humiliate all his enemies under his feet speedily. Grant him calm and delightful times. And grant us grace and mercy through his prayers and supplications. The gospel according to our teacher, St. Luke, for example, the evangelist. May his blessings be us all. Amen. For the bishop, it's a similar prayer. Okay? But it refers to him as a bishop, not a pope. And then the gospel is read. Okay? So again, at the moment... In all our churches, in the lands of immigration, even in Egypt, because we have Coptic and English, the Coptic gospel is read from here towards the east. They say we pray the Coptic gospel, and the English or the Arabic gospel is read from here this way. Okay? Technically, the bishop's supposed to read the gospel. If the bishop's not there, the priest. If not the priest, the deacon. The deacon being the full deacon, etc. Okay? All right. Some quotes. So, Justin Martyr, 2nd century, one of the earliest writings that we have on the liturgy, speaks about the fact that we used to have readings from the Bible and then a sermon. Let's read. So, if anyone says, why do you do all of this? Well, the church has been doing it way before there was anything called Coptic 
church, um, Catholic church, Orthodox church, or just the church. You have a church in Alexandria, where we are. You have a church in Antioch. You have a church in Jerusalem, etc. So why before there was any divisions? He says, On the day, which is called the day of the sun, we have a common assembly for all who live in the cities or in the country. And the memoirs of the apostles, so the writings of the apostles, or the writings of the prophets are read, as much as there is time for. Then when the reader has finished, the one presiding, so being the priest or the bishop, provides in a discourse admonition and exhortation to imitate these excellent things. In other words, there's a sermon. So from the very beginning, there's always been a sermon. The gospel is read, and then the sermon is to proclaim what the gospel said to exhort, admonish, etc. Afterwards, we all stand up together, say prayers, as we said before. After we finish the prayer, bread and wine are presented. Okay? We'll look at the rest of that text in the coming weeks, but that was the only relevant part for now. Okay? So the gospel is read, and then there's a sermon. Now, what happens during the gospel? What's the priest doing during the gospel? Page 156. Okay? Now, I should have a gift to give for whoever could pick up where else this prayer is from. As the gospel is being read, the priest stands here and he prays a prayer. Okay? Let's read it together. Page 156. He says, O you who are long-suffering, abundant in mercy and true, receive from us our prayers, our supplications. Receive from us our petition, repentance, and confession upon your holy undefiled altar in heaven. May we be made worthy to hear your holy gospels, and may we keep your precepts and commandments, and bring forth fruit therein, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a short prayer about God, give us um, grace, to be worthy to hear your holy gospel, to keep your precepts, and to give forth fruit. So, as you see, for every reading, the priest is saying a prayer that we may benefit from that reading. Okay? And then he says a string of litanies. They're very short. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 litanies. Okay? First one. Remember, O Lord, the sick of your people. You have visited them with mercy and compassion. Heal them. Remember, O Lord, our fathers and brethren who are traveling. Bring them back to their homes in peace and safety. So unless you've read this when Abuna is reading it, you wouldn't have heard this before. Remember, O Lord, the air of heaven, the fruits of the earth, bless them. Remember, O Lord, the waters of the river, bless them. Raise them to their measure according to your grace. Remember, O Lord, the seeds, herbs, plants of the field, bless them. Remember, O Lord, the safety of men and beasts. So we're praying for everyone, everything, all conditions. Remember, O Lord, the salvation of this, your holy place, and every place and every monastery of our Orthodox fathers. Remember, O Lord, the leader of, or the king of your land, your servant, keep him in peace, truth, and strength. Remember, O Lord, those who are in captivity, save them all. Remember, O Lord, our fathers and brethren have fallen asleep and repose in the Orthodox faith, repose all their souls. Remember, O Lord, those who have brought to you these gifts, those on whose behalf they have been brought, and those by whom they have been brought, give them the heavenly reward. Remember, O Lord, those who are distressed in hardships and oppressions, save them from all their hardships. You could see we're praying for everyone in nearly every condition. Remember, O Lord, the catechumens. The catechumens are those who are learning about the faith to be baptized, okay? Of your people, have mercy upon them. Confirm them in the faith in you. Uproot all the seeds of idolatry from their heart. Because a lot of the times the catechumens before used to be idol worshippers. So that's why we say remove idolatry from their heart. 
your, and if you see, this prayer has a lot about the catechumens. Your law, your fear, your precepts, your truths, and your holy commandments, establish them in their heart. Grant that they may know the certainty of the words wherein they have been instructed, and in the set time may they be worthy of the washing of the new birth, baptism, for the remission of their sins, as you prepare them to be a temple of your Holy Spirit. So the, the largest section is dedicated towards those who are getting ready for baptism. Okay? Then we conclude by glorification to the Holy Trinity, by the grace, compassion, love of mankind, of your only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom the glory, honor, dominion, and worship are due unto you with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you now, all times, unto the ages of ages. Amen. So the priest is saying this prayer silently. This prayer used to be said out loud after the gospel. Okay? Now for the quiz. Can anyone tell me any other time in, during the year where this prayer is said out loud? Not Passion Week. Not the washing of the feet. But it's similar, similar prayer, but this prayer in this exact order, word for word. Close to Passion Week. Not the genuine funeral. Not the land. Not Passion Week. No. Marina? Not the Sagda. Not Palm Sunday. It's a tough one because usually you're at work or uni during this time. It's the weekdays of Lent. So if you come to the weekdays of Lent, now I don't know why we only say it out loud in the weekdays of Lent. I have no idea. If anyone finds out, please let us know. But what happens the weekdays of Lent is you come for matins, for Bekr. After Abuna has the three candles, you know the three candles that he crosses everyone with? He closes the curtain, and then they read from the Old Testament. So if you come for matins in um, the Great Lent, from Monday to Friday, you find that they start reading from the Old Testament. After they read from the Old Testament, Everyone gets up and they do matanias. Do you remember when Abuna goes, Everyone, We bow our knees to you. And then, um, Have mercy upon us, O God, our Saviour. And then he says this. He'll say, Let me actually show you where the text is, actually. That, that might help. So if you just turn to page um, 251, five, 521, sorry. <coughs> So next Great Lent, try attend the Maddens if you have a day off, okay, and you'll, you'll see all this. Page 521, the priest says, let us bow our knees, everyone bow, does a matanya, and we say, have mercy upon us, O God, the Father, the Pantocrator. Then the priest says, let us stand, so you stand up, let us bow our knees, and then you say, have mercy upon us, O God, our Saviour. Then the priest says, let us stand, everyone stands up again, let us bow our knees, have mercy upon us, O God, have mercy upon us. Then the priest says, Oh, you who are long-suffering, etc., etc., etc. The deacon says, Pray for the living, Lord have mercy. Remember, Lord, the sick of your people. Pray for the sick, Lord have... The whole time you're doing matanias. Okay? So look out for this in Great Lent. But for now, back to page 156. During the litany of the gospel, the priest is saying this prayer. Okay? Now, let's have a few... Look at a few things about why we're doing what we're doing or some things we could gain from where the church has placed everything. Father Lev Gillet 
one of my favorite authors of all time. There's a few books you have to read in your lifetime. Can anyone guess what that book is? In Thy Presence. Thank you, Mickey. Everyone should read In Thy Presence in their lifetime. At one stage, you need to read In Thy Presence, okay? It's written by Father Lev Gileb. He also has another beautiful book called Serve the Lord with Gladness and Be My Priest. Number Surreal always asks the people that are about to be ordained to read that book, Be My Priest. It's a beautiful book on the priesthood, okay? But I found a beautiful section where he talks about the gospel. So I thought I would share that with you, okay? Let's read together. It is not simply a matter of hearing the gospel. We are called to listen to it. The deacon says, stand up in the fear of God and listen to the Holy Gospel. To be attentive to the divine word. To open to it not only our ears, but also our heart. The word gospel means good news. It actually even means the good news that you hear when you've won the war, when you've gained victory. So when the king is out for battle and they've won and they bring back news to the city that they've won the war, that's called the gospel. So the gospel is the good news that God has been victorious. Okay? The ritual phrase, let us listen to the holy gospel, therefore means let us listen to the holy good news. For every passage of the gospel contains good news, a joyous message, the annunciation of something of supreme importance that concerns every one of us. Perhaps as we hear the passage to be read, our reaction is, I've heard this so many times, it really doesn't say anything much at all to me. Nevertheless, every portion of the gospel, whichever it may be, and even if we have already heard it countless times, always has something to say to us. So deacons, when you read the gospel, make sure it's clear and people could understand. All of us, let's really focus on what's happening. Put your hand up if you have Coptic Reader. So all of us could just read the gospel the night before, so we at least know what the theme of the day is. Okay? Good practice for something to do the night before. It's, uh, so the gospel could refer to the message of the gospel, Christ crucified and risen, but written in four accounts. Yeah. If we listen to the gospel with humility and fervor, each and every time we will discover a sentence or a word that we have never really noticed before, one which will strike us as if we are hearing it for the very first time. Nor is it a message addressed to the assembly in general. It's addressed to each hearer individually, personally. It's addressed to me. Hearing the reading of the gospel, I shall think to myself, this is the word that our Lord has preserved for me until today. This is what he wants to say to me today. This is what he has just spoken to me. I shall guard this word with care in the depths of my heart. Like we said in the first week, unless all of us could come into church and not only say God loves us, but he loves me, Michael, he loves me, Chris, he loves me, Fulan, Fulana, okay? It's not all 100% there yet. I have to be able to say this is for me. God died for me. God loves me personally. A quote I won't read by Father Alexander Schmemann on the sermon. But I'll give you one thing that he mentions. Who put the Bible together? A lot of different people. The church. The church put the Bible together. Okay? So the Bible is made to be read through the lens of the church. Not through purely private interpretation. Okay, so maybe one sentence that Father Alexander Schmemann says, uh, like nearly three quarters of the way through, that, he says thus, thus any private reading of scripture must be rooted in the church 
outside of the mind of the church, it can neither be heard nor truly interpreted. What do I mean by that? Well, if I pick up the, the Bible and I say, oh, I don't need baptism because this is my reading of it, well, that doesn't really make sense because the Bible is not made for me to say this is my opinion. The Bible is made to be read in the kononia, remember the key word we spoke about, the kononia of the church. The sermon proves this. Okay? So it shows us that the Gospels, the Bible, is made to be read through the lens of the church in the community of the church. That's why in matters of faith, if someone says, look, I think communion is symbolic, it's my reading of it, with all due respect, we would say, unfortunately or fortunately, your reading of it doesn't matter. Okay? How has the church read it? Because the church has put the Bible together. Now, this doesn't discount the fact that when I read, do not fear, I don't feel, oh, this is for me. No, of course it's for me. But we're reading in the spirit of the church. Okay? So this notion of canonia is huge. In a church, we don't do things on our own. We do things in groups. Okay? So the sermon is finished. And then after the sermon, if we please move to page 160. The priest now enters the sanctuary and never leaves. Okay? He enters the sanctuary and he's going to spend the remainder of the liturgy in the sanctuary until he exits the sanctuary with the holy body and the precious blood at the end. Before entering the sanctuary, he says a prayer. A prayer for him. Okay? And for the people. So he stands at the door. It's called the prayer of the veil. So he says it here. So sometimes you see a boner standing here before he walks in and he says this prayer. Apparently this prayer came from a lot of Syrian writings and there's a prayer for the veil in St. Basil's liturgy, one in St. Gregory's, one in St. Cyril's. But we might look at those at the end if we have time. But let's read the prayer of the veil because you might not have read it before. He says, O God, who in your ineffable love toward mankind sent your only begotten Son into the world that he might return the lost sheep to you. We ask you, our Master, turn us not back when we put our hands on this awesome and bloodless sacrifice. So this is like a similar theme for the prayer of preparation. He's about to enter the sanctuary to start the liturgy of the faithful, the liturgy of those who are baptized. So he's saying a prayer of preparation. For we put no trust in our righteousness, so I'm not good enough to pray this liturgy, but in your mercy, whereby you have given life to our race. We ask and entreat your goodness, the lover of mankind, that this mystery which you have administered to us for salvation may not be unto condemnation to us or to any of your people. Condemnation if I approach unworthily or carelessly. But unto the wiping out of our sins and the forgiveness of our negligence and unto the glory and honour of your holy name, O Father and Son and Holy Spirit, now and at all times, unto the ages of ages, amen. So it's sort of a prayer of contriteness, repentance, preparation. Okay? So if you realize the priest says this, he walks into the sanctuary and he'll, he won't leave until communion. Okay? Now, at this point, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to pray the three long litanies. The majority of the time, we pray these silently during the gospel. That's why during the gospel, you sometimes see a buna at the altar holding the, the censer. And then you're like, okay, why did we just skip 15 pages? Because a lot of the time it's said privately. But sometimes it's also said out loud. So let's go through it. And then we'll stop after these prayers and we'll leave the creed and end Sophia to next week. They're called the three long litanies. Okay? The priest calls for prayer. Let us pray. Stand up for prayer. Peace be with you all and with your spirit. 
the priest. Again, let us ask God, the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask and entreat your goodness, our lover of mankind. Remember, our Lord, the peace of your one, only, holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We went through what these words mean. One, only, holy, Catholic, apostolic. In week two, again, look at the podcast or the handouts. So he prays for the peace of the church. The deacon then tells you to do something. He goes, pray for the peace of the one, only, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, orthodox church of God. So what are you supposed to do when you hear that? Pray. So what's your job in the liturgy? To pray. So the deacon says, pray for the peace of the church. So you stand there and you pray for the peace of the church. There's a thousand things you could pray for the internal peace of the church, the external peace of the church, like from all the persecution, the peace between the churches, because we're all trying to be in dialogue to reach, hopefully one day, communion with the churches. Okay? So we're praying for that. And then the congregation says, Lord, have mercy. And the priest continues. This which exists from one end of the world to the other. What exists from one end of the world to the other? What's he talking about? The church. The church exists from one end of the world to the other. All peoples and all flocks bless. The heavenly peace send down into all our hearts. So we're talking about things that come from above. But at the same time, even the peace of this life graciously grant to us. So please grant us peace right now. Specifically, the king, the armies, the rulers, the counselors, the multitudes, our neighbors, our coming in, our going out. In other words, everything. Adorn them with all peace. Christianity is a religion of peace. Where does our peace come from? God. O king of peace, grant us your peace, for you have given us all things. So our peace doesn't come from some self-help book that could help us. But our ultimate source of peace is God. Acquire us to yourself, O God, our Saviour, for we know none other but you. Your holy name we utter. May our souls live by your Holy Spirit. Let not the death of sins have dominion over us, we your servants, nor all over your people. Lord of mercy. Okay? That's the first litany. The second litany is for our fathers, the patriarchs and the bishops. Again, let us ask God the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who ask and treat your goodness, the lover of mankind. Remember our Lord, our honoured patriarch and father, the high priest, Pope Avatuadus II, and his partner in the apostolic liturgy, our father, the bishop, Abba Suriel. The deacon then asks you to pray for the Pope and the bishop. So what do you do? You pray for the Pope and the bishop. And if anyone needs a lot of prayers, it's the people that serve in the church. It's a huge responsibility to be a Pope or the bishop or a priest. Why? Christ sent out the apostles. The apostles passed away. Who carries the work of the apostles? The bishop. So Amber Suriel is the apostle of Melbourne. That's his responsibility. That's a big, big job. So as his congregation, as his children, what do we do? We pray for him. Okay? Lord have mercy. Then the priest says, keep them secure for us for many years and peaceful times. Fulfilling, look at this, that holy high priesthood. Whose priesthood? His priesthood? God's. Not mine. It's his priesthood. The priests on earth participate in that. With which you have entrusted them to yourself according to your holy and blessed will. Now please focus on this part. Rightly handling the word of truth. That comes from St. Timothy. We'll look at that. One of the jobs of the bishop, and by extension the priest, is to handle the word of truth. In other words, to figure out what's orthodox and what's not. To teach the right teaching. Shepherding your people in purity and righteousness and all the orthodox bishops, higaments, priests and deaconess and the fullness of your one, only holy Catholic and apostolic church. Grant them and us peace and safety in every place. 
the praise which they offer on our behalf and on behalf of all your people, as well as ours on their behalf. And then he puts incense in the Sharia. Receive them upon your holy rational altar in heaven as a sweet savour of incense. All their enemies, visible and invisible. Do they have enemies? So when we say enemies, we're talking about the people that consider us to be their enemies. Visible and invisible, trample and humiliate under their feet speedily. As for them, the bishops, keep them in peace and righteousness in your holy church. I think that's a very nice prayer. I think something that we could all do is to go up to your local priest or to your bishop every once in a while and say, Hi Abuna, hi Sayedna, how are you going? Not, how's the service? How are you going? It's nice to be like that, I think, with priests and bishops because they are human and we pray for them. So it's nice to ask about them. It's not far-fetched, okay? I'm going to use this as an excuse again to bring up another point. If we just look at our handout. A whole page which I won't read about the bishop and his apostolic succession. So remember we said you have Christ, the apostles, St. Mark, the apostle, made an Inyanos bishop of Alexandria. We could trace that bishopric all the way to Pope Tuadros and by extension Pope Shnura ordained Ambassuriel by the laying of hands. So we have this beautiful apostolic succession all the way back to Christ. Who could claim that? The Orthodox churches, Eastern Oriental, and the Catholic churches can claim that apostolic succession. No one else can claim that. Okay? This talks about the importance of the bishop, his role in the church, etc. The last page, which I might go through, if I may, because I think I have five to ten minutes, because you're very nice and generous, is something that I put together for an essay once, which I thought was handy, about authority in the church. So we had to answer a question. The question was, a lot of people have issues with authority in the church, in the Orthodox church. They see these men dressed in black. We kiss their hands. We sing hymns for them. Who are they? What's their function? So this attempts to explain how we as Orthodox Christians understand the function of the priest and the bishop to show that it's not really authority over anything, but something else. So if you could just be patient with me, we'll read through some of this and explain it, because I think it's a good, it's, it's a good like, point at this point to read this. Let's read. Are we okay to do this, by the way? All right? Yes. Okay. I hope so. If the, if the church is principally seen as an institution enclosed within itself, with a hierarchical structure and jurisdictional boundaries, then the episcopate and priesthood could be interpreted as offices which exercise domineering authority, ruling the faithful. So if we think the church is just an institution, then yeah, it is authority, but it's not an institution. The church is the body of Christ. The church are people called by God. It's not just an institution. It's not an organization. Okay? This view of the church is not faithful to the teaching of Scripture or to the witness of the church throughout the centuries. So we, that's actually, the church never said it's an institution. People have said that. But we can't just sit there and say, yeah, you're right. And we've got to say, no, hold on. What have we always taught for 2,000 years? What does our liturgy say? What did the church fathers say? What does the Bible say the church actually is? <coughs> Rather, the church can be principally understood in terms of kononia, the Greek word for communion, sometimes translated as fellowship. Kononia between who? We have kononia with God and with others. So vertical kononia me and Jesus Christ, Holy Communion, and then with all of you, horizontal, so like a cross. 
viewing authority in the church in light of Kononia quickly dispels any perception of domination or authoritative rule in the worldly sense. How? Let's find out. Instead, authority in the church begins to be seen as a reflection of God's communion with the world in Christ. Authority provides a means for encountering God, emphasizing that all issues of authority must be thoroughly based in communion. What do we mean? Well, the Lord Christ, as the source of authority in the church, provides a model of this approach or the spirit in which authority should be exercised. We said the bishop is a representative of Christ, and the priest is an extension of the bishop representative of Christ. So, how does Christ exercise authority? Let's have a look. He says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's the model of leadership in the church. Not domineering authority, service. Service is at the heart of Christ's ministry and therefore at the heart of authority in the church. This is clearly exemplified in the washing of the feet of the disciples before the institution of the Eucharist, in which Christ states, You call me teacher and Lord, and you said well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So the function of the, one of the functions of the priest, bishop, deacon, is to wash people's feet. If you look at the Coptic Church in our history, to prove that the bishopric and the priesthood is not domineering, one of the most fascinating stories you ever read is the stories of how people became popes. At one stage, they had to drag the candidates from the monastery in chains to the church, force them to become pope, and that's it, they're pope. Okay, why? Because it's not a coveted position. It's not a pride thing. You know Pope Shenouda? To become a bishop, they played a little trick on him where they dragged him out of the monastery. He went to Pope Carolus, and on the way out, Pope Carolus grabbed his head and then the other bishop put his hand on his shoulder. You need more than one bishop to ordain another bishop. Okay? And he said, we call you Shenouda Bishop of Education. The, um, you're not allowed to leave the papal residence. Your um, prayer, your ordination service will be in a few days. So if, if we were really looked at the bishopric and the priesthood as authoritative domineering, then we really wouldn't have these stories in our church. Okay? This is the calling of those who exercise authority in the church, to wash feet, as those bishops and priests who derive their authority of service from Christ. So the priest and the bishop have no authority in themselves. It is only the authority of Christ. Make their responsive, respective responsibility to imitate his life and ministry of service. A little bit more. Viewing authority in the church in terms of kononia and Christ's ministry clearly shows that the church does not create any external authority for the sake of security and obedience, but rather provides the means for personal and free existence and communion. Authority then stems from and aims from kononia. In other words, the function of the bishop is to keep kononia. Heresy comes, he defines the word of truth, and says, no, this is not right. You are disturbing the kanonia. Someone administratively tries to disturb the kanonia. The bishop and the priest intervene and say, no, you cannot disturb the kanonia of the church. That's their primary job. Part of that is teaching. That's why one of the most important functions of a bishop or a priest, as St. Timothy says, is to rightly define or divide the word of truth. In this light, authority cannot be seen to exist to impose itself on the faithful, 
but rather to uphold canonia and the unity of the church. The office of the bishop exercises this function, protecting the church against division and upholding the unity of the church. Um, just want to skip a little bit for time. Um, uh, fourth last line at the end. The bishopric or episcopate as an authority in the church rather than over the church also preserves the historical continuity of the mission of Christ through apostolic succession. If a priest doesn't have his apostolic succession, it's not a legitimate sac sacrament. So if one of the lay people in the church right now, or even me as a priest, if I decided, I'm going to go start my own church and call it the church of those who love God and have my own services, I've now separated myself from that canonia. That's not authentic. It's not real. Okay? has to be in line with the canonia of the church through apostolic succession. That's why the priest prays the liturgy on behalf of the bishop. Okay? Turn the page, second line. The bishop is the direct connection between Christ, the apostles, and the local church. Emphasized in St. Ignatius' famous saying, wherever the bishop is, there is the church. Thus, the episcopacy stemming from Christ himself and engrafted into the college of the twelve disciples by ordination is essential to upholding the cononia of the church, which is at the very heart of the nature and purpose of the church. So, bishop and priests are not there as authority figures. They're there to uphold cononia. And we really need to know this. 21st century, we are the millennial generation if you're born after 1980. Sometimes we have an issue in the world of authority. That's what the research says. But our bishops and priests in the in our understanding of the Orthodox Church, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, we do not see them as an authority over the church. Someone once said, the model of the church isn't Christ, Pope, Bishop, Priest, people. It's Christ, and then a series of concentric circles. Christ, Pope, Bishop, people. Okay? Not this, but all centered around Christ. Different way of looking at it. The last litany on page 168, this will be very quick. This is the litany that Abunav says when he comes to your house. Litany of the assemblies. Assemblies meaning this gathering here. Again, let us ask God the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord, God and Savior Jesus Christ, who asks and treats your goodness and lover of mankind. Remember, O Lord, our assemblies. Then he signs the people with the cross. Bless them. They can ask you to pray. You pray, Lord of mercy. Then he says, this is nice, grant that they, our assemblies, our gathering, may be to us without obstacle or hindrance that we may hold them according to your holy and blessed will. So please grant that when we meet together, we don't have any negative influence on each other. Then he says, houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. He gets the shoria, and over the altar, over the throne on the altar, he goes, houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. He does the cross over the altar. Okay? He says this to us, to, he prays this prayer when he goes to your house, to bless your house. Grant them to us, O Lord, and to your servants who will come after us forever. Then the priest says a part about preserving the canonia. The worship of idols, utterly uproot from the world. Satan and all his evil powers, trample and humiliate them under our feet speedily. The offences and the instigators, abolish. So the people that cause problems, get rid of these problems. Let the dissensions of corrupt heresies cease. The enemies of your holy church, O Lord, as at all times, now also humiliate, strip their vanity, show them their weakness speedily, 
Bring to naught their envies, their intrigues, their madness, their wickedness, and their slanders which they commit against us. O Lord, bring them to no avail. Disperse the counsel of God, who dispersed the counsel of Ahithophel. Who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel, as some people pronounce that. David, yeah, King David. So King David had an advisor called Ahithophel. He swapped sides to Absalom. He gave counsel, and King David prayed that his counsel might not be accepted. And then his counsel was rejected, and then he went and hung himself and died. Okay? And the process, you could read it in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17, okay, in detail. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, King David was protected. Okay, so he plotted against, he swapped sides and plotted against King David, okay? Then the priest senses towards the east and says, Arise, O Lord God, let your enemies be scattered, or hate your holy name flee before your face. Turn to the people, let your people, and he offers into the people, be in blessings, thousands of thousands, ten thousand times ten thousands, doing your will. And then he concludes with glorification to the Holy Trinity. I hope you're drawing your triangles. To the grace, compassion, love of mankind, of your only begotten Son, etc., this ends the liturgy of the catechumens, the liturgy of the word. So in the olden church, at this point, if you're not baptized, you would be asked to leave. The door will be closed, and the rest of the liturgy is for the faithful. The proof of that is that we're about to say the creed. You could only say the creed if you believe, if you're baptized. Okay? Let's stop there. I think five minutes over time this week. Not the end of the world, but it's okay. All right. So next week... The Tuesday before Christmas, the Feast of Nativity, we'll do the, pray, the creed, like very quickly. No, we're not going to go through it, but just where it's placed in the liturgy. The prayer of reconciliation, why we greet one another with a holy kiss. Then the dialogue, the Lord be with you all, lift up your hearts, die with the Lord, let us give thanks to the Lord. Up to um, the part where we say the cherubim worship you and the seraphim glorify you. If you've got any questions, we'll hang, um, we'll hang around after to um, answer them. And if you want handouts from last week, be here. Okay? Glory be to God forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.